The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Matt Stores. Matt is a comedian and storyteller living in Queens. Matt graduated college during the recession and was desperate to find a job. After getting his law degree, Matt did his best to adapt to being a lawyer, but struggled to find the right job that let him still pursue his passion for performing. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Pretty well. How are you doing? Good. Just, you know, getting through the weekend. Uh, it's already almost over. You know, that's, you know, tends to be how, how weekends go. They end up uh, ending, unfortunately. Yeah. The time, like time just keeps moving and you're like, oh, fuck. Like this is, this is what we're, this is life. Yeah, that is, <laughs> it is, unfo- it is unfortunate. Just, just really setting up a real, a real vibe to get us <laughs> Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, just uh, we got to go back into work. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Yes. But thank you so much for being here. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. What did you want to talk about today? Yeah, I wanted to talk about. Thank you for having me. First. Yes, of course. Uh, And I wanted to talk about my time when I first uh, started working as a lawyer back. uh, This is almost like a decade ago now. And. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of talk about that, some of the jobs I had at that time, and, you know, kind of the, you know, kind of recognition, some of the recognitions I had during that time as well. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds just like we're on that weekend grind, I guess. Is, exactly. It leads, yeah. It leads into it. <laughs> yeah, that perfect uh, encapsulation of going to a job you may not actually want to be going to. Yes. Um, but yeah, so if, if I if I may just jump right in. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I graduated from a law school out in Arizona, and uh, I had picked this law school based on the fact that I wanted to be able to work throughout it, and you know, so I could go part time and you know have a little bit of flexibility. And then by the time I graduated, I realized like that law school wasn't so good. And that even though I was working during it, like I still had, you know, some pretty crazy student loans. And so once I took the bar exam, I was really desperate to find a job as a lawyer as quickly as possible. And I didn't have a ton of prospects outside of doing like doctor review or like some really introductory working you know, 60 to 80 hours a week type of jobs. And I just, I didn't, that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, so I ended up doing an interview with a family law firm that did predominantly, you know, uh, child custody, divorces, that sort of thing. And that ended up going pretty well. I knew, you know, through some, you know, connections, I knew some of the people that worked there. And so I ended up interviewing and it ended up going really well. But there was a two stage interview where I had to interview with not only the attorneys that worked there, but also the in-house life coach for this family law firm. (laughs) 
Uh, who is that a would, normal? I know nothing about law firms. Is that a normal uh, thing to exist in a law firm? Absolutely not. Uh, so <laughs> this was the husband of the main attorney, and oh. so so the so it's a little bit like I need a job. Can you help me? Ah, uh, you know I don't know what their <laughs> dynamic was exactly, uh, but he so the main attorney she did you know the cases was well renowned as a family law attorney and as a litigator previous to that. And so her husband was this life coach. And so uh, he kind of had a rockabilly vibe, if that makes sense. So, you know, very meticulous hair, um, you know, had drove around in a car that like probably was from the 50s and like showed it off at, you know, car shows and stuff like that. Like, you know, parked in parking lots and was like, oh, yeah, this is what I got in this. But he also did improv. Um, So like. You know, he he was a fun guy to be around, but like the kind of dynamic that we had at this office was that the there was a podcast for the office uh, for the law firm. There was a blog that we also had where you were expected to do sections or pieces for the podcast and then write a couple articles for the blog to try and get more attention to the website and get more people in as clients. Um, but then once we got what what they were, I felt like they were trying to do was create a system where we would attract people with the blogs and the content that we were making, bring them in, help them with their child custody or their divorce or whatever it would be, and then get them to also then filter into the life coaching. <laughs> and uh, so like a good system, like keep them, keep them in. And, you know, that was an admirable goal. Um, a lot of the clients that we had did tend to be men uh, going through a divorce very often with, you know, some unexpected, you know, the breakup. So a lot of them were kind of discombobulated, not knowing how to, you know, with any relationship when it goes on for a really long time and one partner wants to get out and one partner's, you know, maybe not expecting it so much. There's an adjustment period, so it kind of just inherently lends itself to needing assistance of other people. Uh, And I think that the way in which I articulate it is that our life coach was effectively helping men have a midlife crisis who didn't know how to have a midlife crisis. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like they were too like apprehensive and it's like, well, if you are trying to have a midlife crisis, maybe you should invest in this muscle car. Or maybe take an improv class. Yeah. It's, a, um, it's a very personal connection of like, with the things, I, you know, I've had these two things happen to me that work for me. Maybe you should try them. Exactly. And one of the things with this law firm was that, you know, I didn't feel, you know, I was a brand new attorney. And and like at this point, too, in your life, like just to like so you said you like went to law school and then you like had a bunch of student loans and you're like, I need something to give me money quick. Like was your goal like I, I assume like because you had to go to law school, right? Like you wanted to be a lawyer. Like where were you somebody who was like excited to be a lawyer or were you just like, oh, this feels like a career that's going to make me like enough money to be comfortable in life? Yeah, so I think that my desire to go to law school is was kind of twofold. So initially, I so both my parents are defense, criminal defense attorneys, and so like growing up, 
they there wasn't a ton of money coming around, but there was kind of like a legal mindset um, of like how to approach the world, kind of that analytical, logical basis. And so I felt like I was just naturally kind of attuned to how lawyers work. And then once I graduated from college, I graduated during the recession, yeah. the mid-2000s recession, uh, and or the 2010s or whatever. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm, I have an English degree. Um, you know, I'm not... I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not getting employed anywhere right now. Um, and so I was like, well, I'll just take the entrance exams, you know, practice entrance exams for all of the grad schools and, you know, see what I do best on. And, you know, the one that I ended up doing best on was the LSAT. So I was like, okay, this will open a lot of doors and then give me a lot of employability, even if it's not directly in law. So it's not like your dream job in any way, but you're like playing this game of like, how do I, how do I like navigate life in a way that I could do the things I want, but still be making some money? Absolutely. And not in a job that I just, you know, absolutely hate, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think also one of the things that attracted me to it was like, I use this uh, analogy of like avenues and alleyways that, you know, my the avenue that I want to go down is, you know, something related to performance and like articulating myself and like trying to uh, explain things to people and communicate. And well, you know, that might not necessarily be the, you know, law might not be on that avenue itself. It's on, you know, the alleyways are kind of connected to it because it's kind of got a similar skill set that you would use to kind of performance and those things that I uh, kind of gravitated towards and enjoyed. Um, so I'm like, well, even if there are aspects of it that I don't like, there are the fundamental aspects. There are enough fundamental aspects where I should have uh, more enjoyment than not, so long as I can find the right right thing to do. Yeah, and I guess in a way, this it sort of got you into the door with this place because the the life coach guy who works there is into improv, and so you probably connected a little bit over that. I think you exactly. mentioned it, like the comedy ex overlap. Exactly. Yeah, definitely, you know, kind of gave me uh, a, a, a method to get in. And, you know, that one of the things with like the uh, employment contract that I signed was like they at the time I was known in the comedy community for like like one of the ways that I dealt with stress in law school was I would bake, you know, cookies or banana bread or whatever anytime that there was a, uh, a test and then I would just bring it in and like give it to people. And people initially thought like it was a big flex of like, oh, he's trying to like intimidate us. So like, and give us a sugar rush. So like we don't do as well on a test. And I'm like, no man, I just, I, this is how I deal with stress. Yeah. I'm stress baking. <laughs> yeah. I'm stress baking. And then I started doing that for comedy shows too, of just bringing in cookies and stuff like that and giving them to the people that are performing or people in the audience and just like using it as a method to like meet people more organically and easily. And uh, so uh, they knew about that. And so one of the things in as a provision of my employment contract was that I was supposed to bake once a month. <laughs> um, and like literally in your contract? Literally in the contract. And they're like, Oh, yeah, that's just a joke. Like, haha. Like, I'm like, right, but we're lawyers. Like, that's in my contract. 
There's no like <laughs> yeah, of all the places this could exist. This is right. be the one that it gets <laughs> gets put into. Yeah. And what I think that they were expecting from the person that they hired was a little bit more experience and a little bit more uh, background in family law than what I had. But I really started having a lot of trouble meeting the uh, uh, billable hour quotas that they had for us just because like it didn't seem like we had enough clients for me to do the work that they were expecting of me. And, you know, then I wasn't really in a position where I was bringing in any business because like I was in my twenties and most of my friends were either, you know, just in relationships or just getting married and being like, Hey, you know, thank you for inviting me to dinner. Uh, have you guys considered a prenuptial agreement that stops you from getting invited to, to those <laughs> to dinner parties? Yeah. <laughs> and so that led me to being like, well, I should try and figure out ways to bring in new business. So like one of the things that I did was I made I wrote a couple of jokes that were in hindsight, not very good jokes. But I like told my boss, I'm like, hey, I wrote these jokes about being an, a family law attorney. I'm going to perform them at my sets. And they're like, that's great. You're going to have people coming up after your sets. And I'm like, that's going to be amazing. And like, we're going to get so much business from, from your comedy. And I'm like, sure. Yeah. These are, this is, yeah, this is how you get people or whatever. And then, uh, so doing that after a while, I ended up, um, applying to a comedy festival that was like a comedy competition festival. And I had to pitch it to my supervisor and my boss Uh, Saying like, hey, you know, I got this opportunity to do this. And like, if I win, like that would be really, really good for us because I can anytime it'll help with my bookings and I'll get to play bigger stages. And then that means I can do those jokes in a larger audience and then more people will come (laughs) up to me after the shows. And they're like, well, we didn't hire you to be a comedian, but, you know, you do have leave time. So feel free. Yeah, like we're not going to pay for this vacation, but like you could take some time off. Exactly. <laughs> and at this point, like, wait, but like, so this is so fun. Like how much of your, like of your set at this point is like family law based? Are you just like getting, a, are you like spending a lot of time working on like family law jokes in your set? Or are there just like a few jokes? Oh, just a few jokes. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, the, yeah, just a few jokes. So maybe, maybe two or three minutes of material on it. Okay. So yes. it's like you're it's again you're sort of like in your mind you're like I'm filling I'm filling this like quota of some family law jokes to say I'm doing this to help the company but really it's it's like a weird like it's a weird like cross marketing scheme that you've come up with. Exactly. Just the strangest cross marketing scheme yeah. and like, yeah. at, like I'm, I'm with my material at the time too like huh like that's a yeah, so it has nothing, has nothing to do with your other material. Yeah, nothing to do with the other <laughs> material whatsoever. It's like, oh, he's talking about uh, him getting scurvy in college. And then <laughs> now he's talking about how he's a family law attorney. Okay, yeah, we'll go along with that. That makes very reasonable connection. Um, but yeah, so I ultimately go to this comedy festival. And, you know, it's out of the country. It's in it's in Canada. And, you know, I, I perform there and like, I, I recognize like once I get there, that there's a little bit of tension with, uh, my bosses and then I perform in the festival and I lose immediately. I was in the first round. (laughs) And so I'm kind of like stuck there for the next two days. And I'm like, well, this is like a really bad look. Um, I should probably try and go back early 
And so what I do is I change my flight, you know, pay you know a little bit extra to get the next flight back to Phoenix. And I go back and like I don't sleep uh, like after that show and I fly back that next morning and I message my boss saying, hey, uh, I'm coming back to work. Uh, I'm going to work a half day, you know, once I get in and I'm like, I'm going to score so many brownie points. So I'm going to mitigate them being frustrated with me. Uh, (laughs) And then when I get to the airport, I go to the bathroom to change in like more appropriate business attire. And when I get out, I just get hit with this wave of just like, oh, my God, I haven't slept. I am so tired. Like, I don't know how to get to my office. And a guy approaches me and is like, hey, do you need a ride? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I follow him and he takes me out. What I think I'm going to like go to like a taxi or something like that. He takes me out to a limo that is like completely beaten up. It's got a bunch of like dents in it and stuff like that. I get into the back and the seats are all ripped up. And he's like, $30, I will take you anywhere in the city. And I'm like, fantastic. This is where my work office is. I text my boss and uh, tell them I'm going to be there in like, you know, 30 minutes. And so, you know, as as I'm going over there, I'm thinking about like the fact that, you know, a lot of uh, whether or not this is really a place that I want to be working uh, you know, just like the the stress of like feeling like I had to like immediately go back to work and like I couldn't like stay there and hang out and like is this um, you know is this place for me and then like also like I'm going into work where I don't feel I don't know if there's gonna be any work for me to do that day. I'm just showing up you know yeah you're kind of stretching yourself so much for this job and it's sort of the thing you said in the beginning of like you wanted to make sure you got a job where it wasn't taking over your life in this way. And you're like, yeah, I left this festival to rush back to this job that I actually don't know if they need me for. Exactly. And so we finally get to the office. And when we arrive, there's like a little cul-de-sac and the limo pulls into the cul-de-sac and all of the employees of the office are waiting outside for me. And uh, I open the door and then they proceed to start clapping for me. And I'm like, oh, my God, what had happened was my bosses didn't like they thought that I had won the festival <laughs> uh, or like won the competition. And then I was coming back immediately. And so like they came <laughs> to clap oh my for God. me. Oh my and I'm God. like. And I'm like, no, please don't be doing this. Like, you don't understand what's going on. And then, like, made worse by the fact that I came back in a limo. So, like, that just more effectively, like, clarified, like, yeah, he definitely won. Yeah, they gave him a limo anywhere in the city. (laughs) Exactly. And so I'm like, okay, this is so embarrassing. I got to, I just got to get inside. It just finished today. And then (laughs) uh, I get out of the car and the driver's like, hey, so it's $30. And I'm like, okay, well, here's my card. And he's like, I can't take credit cards. And I'm like, well, I don't have any cash. And he's like, okay, well, I need cash. I can't leave without getting paid. And so I had to go to the life coach and be like, hey, man, <laughs> can you give me money so I can pay the limo driver? And he's like, yeah. Uh, and it just felt so weird, like, you know, I had, you know, to some degree been in a position where I was like, you know, maybe not looking down on, you know, what he was doing for the clients or anything like that. But like, 
okay, like, why would my clients need to be, you know, asking him for help? Like, those people should be like, they're adults and like, they're in their 40s and 50s, like they should know how to live their lives. And then, you know, very much like I'm completely out of my depth. And I'm like, hey, please, like, you're the person that I feel like I can go to for help. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. I get why people go to you. You just seem like somebody that like, will be willing to help. Uh, and yeah, so I did not last much longer uh, <laughs> after that happened. And, um, and once I once I finished there, uh, I, you know, was kind of, I was very depressed after that. Um, I got, I got fired and, um, we went through my contract and went over all of the things that, you know, I wasn't, um, uh, performing adequately with. And one of the things I, I, I asked during that, uh, that process, I'm like, okay, so like, how does somebody apply for unemployment? And (laughs) my boss being like, oh my God, uh, just like, <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is like, if you're gonna fire me, I'm gonna ask the questions I need to ask. Um, and you know, so they were, you know, uh, kind enough with everything. And then, uh, I ended up going to, as I was trying to find other work and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, uh, with performing and, you know, with comedy and stuff like that. I went to work with my parents' criminal office. And I was doing a lot of like uh, civil rights uh, restorative work for like a lot of their clients that had been incarcerated for a while or had been out for a while that wanted to get some of their civil rights restored. And so basically you can ask to uh, and you know, put a bunch of documents together and ask for those rights to be restored. So I was doing yeah, things like that. voting rights and stuff like that. Yeah, voting rights and sometimes gun rights. I mean, it was Arizona, you know what I mean? (laughs) People are very insistent they want their guns. Um, And I'm like, it probably will help business uh, and help our case if we don't ask for the guns right now. But they're like, no, (laughs) I think I want my guns. And I'm like, okay, we'll see what what we can do. Um, But uh, so I was doing that and I was also helping with... um, my 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 family was representing some folks that had been uh, that were incarcerated. It was a big case uh, where there was an undercover agent and uh, or they weren't an undercover agent. They were an informant. And so they had been informing on my parents client. And then there was like a murder, um, not like a murder. There was a murder. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so then all the people involved got sent to prison. So I was listening to these jail calls and jail recordings of, you know, my client as well as this other, like this informant. And so like that included, like, you know, I don't know what most people think happens on jail calls, but there's a lot of phone sex. It's so much phone sex. And, uh, so it was these weird conversations with my dad being like, hey, so like, I need you to listen to this stuff, but there's going to be, you know, looking at the transcripts, there's going to be about 15 to 20 minutes that you probably can skip over <laughs> oh um, and being like, okay, yeah, I can do that. And so that was really weird. And like, and me, like, you know, not necessarily fully transcribing it. But like going through and like hitting points of like, oh, this might be useful. This might be useful. Like this is inconsistent with their previous statements, stuff like that. 
Yeah, and now and, they've shifted into phone sex. <laughs> and now they've shifted into phone sex, so uh, <laughs> skip 15 minutes. Um, and then they start talking about the case again, and then they're like, oh, yeah, I remember this one thing about sex. And it's like, no, please stop. Um, That's so funny how it oscillates that in, like, mid-call like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. Um, and then another thing that we did, or that I did, was uh, one of the clients that they had had been in a cult as a kid. And so we were looking for mitigation evidence. So I was uh, doing a similar thing and listening to the the cult sermons. Um, oh wow! Uh, so you know, and and the planning meetings of that cult. So like, oh my there's God. the there's the sermons themselves, and then there's the planning meetings of the head of the cult being like, okay, so like we the you know we are feeding these people too much oatmeal. Uh, like our, our, the sewer system that we've built out is not able to handle it. We got to figure out a different thing to feed these people. What can we do? And, you know, so like, but the problem was like, I had to stop doing that because eventually I was like, this guy has a couple of good ideas. Yeah. You're like, maybe I should go swing by this place. Yeah. Like they have some good ideas. And I mean, as much oatmeal as I want to eat, that sounds great. Uh, we got another case. And so they tasked me with going to visit the client in jail. And when they told me that I was going to do it, they're like, hey, they're like very cautious with, you know, the prospect of me going to jail and like doing this interview with them and everything like that. Because one of the summers when I was in high school, I had worked for my parents uh, or at least at least that was the plan. Um, And I they asked me to take a like a a spiral binder to the jail and give it to one of their clients. And when I dropped it off, you know, effectively just working as a courier, uh, the security guard of the jail, like grilled me and like took me into a room and interrogated me because that spiral, uh, could be undone and turned into a weapon. Oh God. And, And I'm like, I'm just, I'm working for this attorney, uh, you know, my my dad and my dad brings these in and they're like, well, yeah, but, you know, we don't know you. You're not actually an attorney and like you're putting a risk into the jail system. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. I'm I'm 15. Um, please. Oh, my God. Uh, and so I went back to my parents office and had like, you know, you know, a blow up with them and like a panic attack and like yelling and stuff. And they're like, so like, understandably, you know, you know, yeah, this was the last time you got sent into jail on their behalf. <laughs> exactly. So they're like, okay, we can't have a repeat of what happened there. And I'm like, I have learned some emotional regulation skills since then. I also, I have um, a lottery. I'm 10 years older. Like, yeah, I'm like, 10 years older. I'm in a suit. Um, <laughs> like they're, I'm not, you know, like they're gonna respect me. Um, and I can say, you know, I'm attorney, you know, Matthew Storrs. I'm here to see this client. I want to review these documents. And so uh, I go over there and I'm like, I got this apprehension already because I'm like, you know, my prior actions are dictating how they're treating me. And I'm like, I know I can do this. I just have to ask the right questions and like have the right directions or whatever. And so I get to the, uh, the jail and I don't know to ask to go to the like specific room where I can like, see the person like if, if i wanted to like touch them like in you know movies or whatever like the yeah like the kind like, of meeting area place that they have 
Exactly. So there's like an isolated meeting area place. And so I don't know that I have to specifically ask for that. And so they take me to the one where there's like the, the glass in between you. Oh, okay. And so my job that I was tasked with with this client was going through all of the police reports and interviews of all the other witnesses and people that were involved with this crime and all of their different perspectives. And, you know, initially it was supposed to be me just handing them over to him and then letting him read them and taking <laughs> notes on them. And, you know, what were the inconsistencies? And so now, since there is the oh class in the God. way, I'm like, okay, well, I got to read all of these to you. Because, um, and I'm like, okay, I guess this is how this is done. And <laughs> uh, so I start reading the perspective of all these, I start reading the perspective of all these people. And our client has difficulty reconciling the fact that other people have different perspectives of the same situation. And so, like, I immediately get into a position of, okay, like, I get it. I get that you <laughs> don't believe this person's interpretation, but, like, not everybody perceives the world the way you do. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> and, like, trying to articulate that to him and, like, trying to be as polite as possible. And, you know, going through and, like, you know, it's pr- very serious stuff that what what happened. But then, like, you know, also him not fully uh, I don't think he recognized the potential ramifications of his actions or anything like that so like you know he was a musician so he's like hey do you think like I'm gonna get out soon so I can finish the album I've been working on and I'm like well no (laughs) I, I don't think that that's reasonable maybe if they have something here in the jail or like if we get you transferred to prison uh maybe they'll have like you know, some sort of guitar system or something like that where you could work on that. Uh, but yeah, you're probably going to be here for a while. And I can't, you know, say specifically, uh, but, you know, just that was really emotionally heavy of like having to like hold his hand in like him recognizing. Yeah, like breaking this news to him of like, oh, I like your life is going to be different. Yeah, it's going to be very, very different. And you know, even, you know, like he was still holding out hope of like, oh, I'm just going to get out of here because I didn't do anything wrong. I'm like, no, you were involved in a criminal enterprise. And like, you're even in the best scenario, you're going to be here for a while. Um, Like we can't, it's not like you were rounded up two miles away. And, you know, you have a great alibi, you were in the group, you know. And, um, yeah, and I think that, you know, one of the biggest things that I kind of recognize is like when I was doing family law, I was doing a very similar thing with the clients of like sitting down and like trying to convince them and get them to recognize the uh, the seriousness and the circumstances of their situation of like, yeah, you guys are going through a divorce. Yeah, you need to stop um, communicating with your ex in the way that you do and you need to treat, you know, you need to treat it like you know, treat them with more respect and like make, you know, document everything and, you know, to make sure that you can get more time with your kids or whatever. And then going to or going to from family law to criminal law, going and being with clients and trying to explain to them like, yeah, like this is 
this is the nature of the world and this is what you're facing and this is what you're going to have to deal with and this is how life is going to change. And, you know, I recognize like, well, I had skill sets and I was kind of in the alleyway of things that I like doing. These two things were very much not um, the method that I wanted to do these things. So I really had to, you know, get into, you know, a reflection mode of like, is this something that is going to be sustainable of, you know, is am I going to emotionally be able to handle this sort of thing going, you know, for the next 20 years or whatever it would be. And uh, luckily after that, I got another job. Like I had a friend reach out and offer me another job that was uh, absolutely perfect for what I wanted to be doing. But yeah, those were just, uh, you know, really, uh, illustrative of like oh man like what my life could be if that makes sense yeah yeah and you know how like oh i think i could do this but like i don't know if i want to really do this and if this is really what uh is gonna be right for me yeah because i guess there's that trade-off right like i i think yeah you're talking about like there's an emotional uh like wear down that you're feeling and and even I know they're like different stakes in both of those ones but each of them is having their own like emotional impact that it feels like yeah in a way like you're sort of taking home with you on a smaller scale or maybe bigger scale depending on like the circumstances of each person to person I guess which is partially the thing you're like I don't want to I don't want to take my work home with me and not only am I like getting more invested in this but it's like emotionally affecting me Absolutely. Uh, and then like the combination of, oh yeah, now I'm getting deeper and like there's a slope there that you could have been sliding into instead of kind of staying on that avenue you wanted to stay on. Absolutely. And I think that it was like, oh, this is going to be, uh, you know, way more intense than I expect. Yeah. And I'm going to have to really find a way to make it work. And I don't know that that's going to be healthy for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And was there a part of you that like, it feels like when your friend offered you this new job, you're like, great, let's go. Like, was there a part of you that felt uh, like you were throwing away this like path that you had built over a few years or you're just kind of like, I, it's fine. (laughs) I don't mind. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I felt, uh, it felt like a godsend, honestly. Uh, And like that I was in a relationship at the time too. And like all of this stuff was, you know, creating and adding to a lot of stress that we were under. Um, and so I really viewed that new job as like, okay, this is really, I'm going to be able to work from home sometimes. And I'm going to be able to, you know, have a lot of flexibility to get stuff done around the house and like um, everything like that. And so I really looked at it from like, uh, from an employment standpoint, it was uh, a godsend in that I was going to be making more money and I was going to have, you know, you know, really good benefits and stuff like that. But then like from an emotional standpoint, relationship standpoint, it was going to be really, really helpful there too. And so that, uh, you know, it was going to give me, uh, you know, more emotional space because I could not have to worry about my, the emotional ramifications of my actions. Like if I messed up in either, either one of those jobs and like my client could go to prison for longer or my client wouldn't be able to see their kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that is like, okay, that, you know, I don't, 
it would be very hard to like, <laughs> you know, you, you make a misspelling or, you know, grammatical <laughs> error. They're not going to, you know, uh, take away somebody's kids for that. But like, you know, you might, there was one instance when I was a family law attorney where I misconstrued when somebody needed to file something. And so I had to contact them on the day that they were supposed to take their kid and go on a vacation and be like, hey, you need to come in and sign some documents. And they're like, okay, well, you know, this is, you know, cutting into the time that we were going to go. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. I misunderstood, you know, the filing process. And also, like, had they had we filed it late, it would have been fine. But like, it was, oh, no, like, I there are a bunch of practical things that I'm relying on uh, other people to tell me. And yeah. like, I, I haven't learned this in the way that is uh, most natural. I'm kind of in a in a position without knowing the ins and outs that I need to, to really be able to like uh, protect myself and protect my clients from doing something wrong. Uh, so yeah, I felt uh, very relieved to be in something <laughs> that was very, very structured and uh, uh, relatively flexible. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you got out on the other side of it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Cool. Well, thanks so much for sharing, Matt. Absolutely. Thank you for, uh, giving me the space to share it. And I, I hope, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I, you know, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, if people want to find out more about you or what you got going on, uh, where can they do that? Absolutely. You can find me online on most social media at MT stores, S T O R R S. And uh, I have a podcast that's called Matt Splaining, where I talk to experts and tell them what I know about their area of expertise. There's a pretty heavy uh, quotation mark under that no or uh, around that no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, you know, I uh, have a storytelling show that I do at QED uh, in Astoria, first and third Saturdays of the month. And then I also have an improvised stand-up show that I do at QED the second Sunday of the month. And then I have uh, plenty of other shows, storytelling and comedy-wise, that uh, I'm doing as well. So, you know, just find me on those socials. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you. This is how we love. This is how we Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Malland. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin. And this is Love Hurts.